Thanks for tuning in to MANA, a short daily meditation to feed hungry souls with God's Word. These episodes were prepared by ordained ministers for a radio broadcast called Voice of the Church and are now republished by the Reformed Perspective Foundation, a Canadian charity that applies biblical truth to the issues of our time. Here's today's serving. Good day, listeners. I want to start today's devotional by reading from Psalm 8, which is for the director of music, according to Gitteth, a psalm of David. There the writer David says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth! You have set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise, because of your enemies, to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've set in place, What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than heavenly beings, and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds and the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name! in all the earth. Now, I've read this passage in light of our celebration, our upcoming celebration, of the incarnation of Jesus, which we celebrate on December 25th. The story of that event is a miraculous and life-altering story. All of life hinges on the events which begin with the birth of the Messiah. However, for us to understand the enormity of this event, we need to start at the beginning. And the beginning is not with the angel's visit to Mary. It's not even with the prophecies of Isaiah. The beginning is at the creation of the world, when God made man. Consider this simple question. How could the salvation of all God's people be the result of one man's death and resurrection? We know that that is true, but what makes it so? Why could the blood of bulls and goats not accomplish our salvation? Why can't we earn our place before the Lord? There are many religions in our world that teach that such things are possible. But the Apostle Paul corrects all such erroneous ideas when he writes, No eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Salvation is of the Lord. And this is true, at least in part, because of who we were created to be. Man's unique identity is revealed in the record of the creation week. Each day of creation has a familiar rhythm to it. But when we come to the creation of man in Genesis chapter 1, the record slows down so as to focus in greater detail on the exalted creation of humanity. Unlike all other creatures, and contrary to the teaching of evolution, God made man after his own image. That simple phrase is worth reflecting on. Man wasn't created to be only God's servant or merely another creature. 
We were made to be in relationship with God. We were made to bear His image. We were made to be His children. And therein we are unique. There are no other creatures in all the world so wonderfully blessed as we were created to be in the beginning. That's the key to understanding Christmas. The identity of man who fell into sin helps us understand the necessity of the Incarnation. After all, if it were only a mere creature who disobeyed God, then possibly a mere creature could pay the price for that disobedience. Then the blood of bulls and goats might be adequate for salvation. But it was not a mere creature who sinned. It was God's child, his image-bearer, who disobeyed. And therefore no mere creature can take the place of a child of God before the face of God. Only a fellow image-bearer, a second Adam, can stand before God in the place of the first Adam. Simply put, since man sinned, Therefore man must pay for his sin. The birth of our Savior on Christmas Day is not simply miraculous. It is truthfully the only possible way we can be saved. But there's more. Have you ever thought that you would have done better in the Garden of Eden than our first parents did? People sometimes wonder, how could they have fallen into sin so easily? This question becomes all the more pressing in light of the consequence of their sin. Every cemetery is the result of their rebellion. Every tear that is shed is shed because of their sin. Every sin we struggle with is because they ate the fruit. And that can seem unfair at times. Why should we suffer for their sin? Why should this world be filled with such grief? Why must we weep in the face of life's sorrow? Shouldn't we be given a chance to prove our worth? If we fail, well, that's on us. But maybe we'll succeed and then have earned promised blessing. That seems fair, doesn't it? Yet think in terms of salvation. If it's unfair for Adam to be our covenantal representative, that means not only that he stood in our place at the beginning, it means that we also are counted as having sinned in him, then it is also unfair for Jesus to be our covenantal representative. That means that to be strictly fair, we must pay the debt for all of our sins by ourselves that no one and nothing could do it for us. Can you imagine having to live your life with the knowledge that should you make one mistake, you would have to pay the eternal punishment of God's wrath against that sin in order to escape his judgment? Once you think that through, you realize that the idea of a covenantal representative doesn't seem so unfair after all. Because at Christmas we don't just celebrate the birth of a child, 
we celebrate the birth of a child who came to take our place, to fulfill the demands of God's covenant on our behalf. In Adam's sin, we all sinned. And the wonder of the gospel is that in Jesus' obedience, all who believe in him are made right before God. It seems like such a simple thing, doesn't it? Even the fall into sin seems so simple. Man ate a fruit. How could that be the cause of all the grief and sorrow of our world? When viewed in isolation, it hardly seems right. But see man in the context of the world God had created for him. See man's sin in relation to his creator God. Our God had created a beautiful paradise for man to live in, providing him with every good thing and entering into a loving relationship with this image-bearer. God had even warned man about the consequences of eating that simple piece of fruit. But man, by eating that fruit, rejected God's provisions, rejected God's fellowship, rejected the Lord's place in his life, and all of that for the empty promise given by a snake. Man's sin, you see, was an assault on the majesty and glory of God. That's what sin is. And that is a big deal. Now, sadly, we do not always see our sin in that way. We forget that how we see our sin impacts how we see our Savior. We forget that the smaller we see our sin to be, the smaller our Savior needs to be. But when we see our sin for what it is, when we see it as that offense in the eyes of God, so offensive that he will never leave it go unpunished, when we recognize that even those small sins, small in our eyes, those white lies, those sideways glances, those hidden thoughts, when we see that those sins are before the face of our God and are viewed by him as an attack upon his majesty and worthy of all condemnation, when we realize just how low we have fallen and how much we need grace and mercy, we will soon realize that the baby born on Christmas morning is the only hope we have. And if we would join the angelic host in celebrating the birth of this Messiah, we must first humbly acknowledge that our sins even the ones we think are no big deal, are a very big deal in the eyes of God, and that as his image bears, we owe him the satisfaction that his justice demands for our sin, a satisfaction we cannot pay, but Jesus was born to pay. And knowing this, we may take great comfort in the rule of Christ in the midst of a rebellious world, Nothing happens apart from his rule, and all things work together for our good. But in that comfort we must also serve. We have a message to tell our world. We must proclaim the gospel of the kingdom, telling the world, Our God reigns. May the Lord bless each and every one of us and guide us in the way of service and obedience to him. <laughs> 